Yesterday was Noah's seventh birthday. Oh. Yeah. He's we had getting a, so big. I know. And I spent $300 on clothes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. We got um, um, his parents got him a aunt. hoverboard. It's cool. Is he old enough for one of those? Yes. It's okay. super cool. Um, but we had like a so- social distance birthday party and it was it was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. He she asked him what cake he wanted for his birthday. He said, "I want a chocolate cake disguised as carrot cake." Oh, yeah! I'll actually send you a picture because it was a good cake. So it has like cream cheese icing on it and. Um, it was going to, but then she forgot, I think she, I don't know, I think she forgot or something. Or she, it was like a chocolate carrot cake. It, you'll see it. Hold on. Cocoa carrot, okay. Ooh, that looks yummy. It was good. That looks really good. Hey, Mel. <laughs> Okay, um, um, now that we have all done that. seriousness aside. Yeah. Now let's make um, you laugh. Jesus. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Um, okay. Is your, is so, your story so, so. You picked my story. Oh, I don't even know what it is. I, I forgot <laughs> we, what we were doing here. Oh my god, you really don't. It was covered on, and that's why we drink, and it was covered on. Was it? wine and crime i have i believe it was because i started reading about it and i'm like i know this i know this i literally story. have no idea i just looked up the area and then i looked up murders to make sure there was something there for you and i just copied and uh-huh. pasted it and gave it to you i didn't look it up i don't know anything about it cool okay hopefully it will come as a surprise cool. then um yeah okay so hey i am rachel in case you didn't know and i'm grace <laughs> In case you also didn't know. Welcome to the podcast. Um, we are Myths and Misfortunes. Yeah, we're a paranormal and true crime podcast. And each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. And or surrounding areas. I think this time we're not surrounding areas. I'm not. I'm. Are you in Bavaria? No, I'm not. Okay, yes. then you're not. Then yes. you're good. Yes. I wasn't questioning it. I was questioning, are you? No, your face. You were like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I had to think for a second. (laughs) Well. Okay. On to Bavaria. Bavaria, Germany. Bavaria, Germany. Uh So, my sources for this are a single YouTube video. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, I okay. I looked on, like, YouTube, uh, not YouTube, I looked on Wikipedia, and I looked on Britannica.com, and there was just so much stuff that I was, like, getting overwhelmed, so I went on YouTube, and I was like, show me a brief history of Bavaria, 
And so I found a video titled A Brief History of Bavaria by General Knowledge on YouTube. <laughs> this is going to be a short episode compared to our two-hour episodes. Last, the, two, last episodes. two episodes. Um, okay, so Bavaria is a landlocked federal state of Germany and is actually the largest German state, like, size-wise. But it's the second most mm-hmm. populated state with currently over 13 million people inhabiting it. Bavarians, as a people, uh, come from a region north of the Alps, which had before been inhabited by the Celts while it was still a province of the Roman Empire. First as Raetia? Raetia? Don't. mm, And then as Noricum. They spoke Old High German, but um, unlike most other Germanic populations, they didn't migrate there from somewhere else. Instead, they were formed by multiple groups left behind when the Roman Empire ended. Okay. So, after the fall of the Roman Empire, the area now known as Bavaria became part of the Kingdom of the Franks, or Francia, France, you know. <laughs> the Kingdom of the Franks. Kingdom the, of the Franks. The Kingdom of the Beef Franks. <laughs> the Kingdom of Hot Dogs. <laughs> That's America. <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> um... After a lot of shit, the Kingdom of Franks was divided into West, Middle, and East Francia. East Francia was divided into four duchies. Um, There's Swabia, Franconia, Saxony, and Bavaria. Um, And this lasted from 843 to 962. And during this time, Bavaria represented itself as the House of Velf, which controlled it. Oh, Velf. Not Elf. Thank you. With a W. <laughs> yes. um, Bavaria was a lot larger during this time. Um, part of it actually ended up becoming Austria. Yeah, Ooh. after this, right. parts of Bavaria belonged to the Holy Roman Empire. There was a lot of internal conflict with the empire. Um, and between t- 1070 and, and 1180, I say them like they're times, not years, there was a lot of animosity between the Holy Roman Emperor and the rulers of Bavaria, which led to conflict. Yay. Cool. Thumbs up. Great. Uh, the House of Velf lost. The Emperor ended up stripping Bavaria of its title and gave it to the House of Wittelsbach, whose coat of arms is the blue and white sort of diamond checker. Um, the House of Wittelsbach ruled Bavaria for around 800 years until 1918. I got caught up Wittelsbach. on the emperor was stripping. Fuck <laughs> off. Ugh, Jesus. <laughs> the emperor is stripping. You know. Just a little twerk. Twerk here, <laughs> twerk there. <laughs> Jesus. Back to 1180. The Duchy of Bavaria was a member of the Holy Roman Empire, and their status remained unchanged for about 500 years. During the Thirty Years' War, though, in 1623, Bavaria's dukes were raised to prince-electors of the Holy Roman Empire, leading to the Duchy of mm. Bavaria transforming into the Electorate of Bavaria. The, oh. There was no real change, except um, they Not had really. more power and influence within the Roman Empire. In the video okay. I watched, it said that during this time, the area was a mess, and they didn't get into it, so I won't either. Because this was, that was the part that got really confusing because it was like a bunch of marriages and all about, I don't know, confusing. 
So okay. they were able to increase their territory and influence, which didn't go over too well with the surrounding uh, empire. Improper, <laughs> no. Um, with the surrounding empire territories. <laughs> I'm not even drinking. Empire. I'm not even drinking. Okay. 1792. Napoleon comes in here, obviously. Uh, France's armies overran a region under Bavarian rule, and in 1795, they entered Bavaria itself and conquered Ulich, which is one part. Mm hmm. Um, eventually, they came to an agreement, losing three areas, and they occup- and they occupied to Napoleon. So Napoleon has been everywhere. Yeah, we even talked about him in our New Jersey story. Actually, it was his what yeah. brother, cousin, uh, something. It was like his nephew or something. Something. Shit. Someone related something. to Napoleon. Yeah. Grandson? Something. I don't know. In 1803, due to territorial rearrangement by the French, Bavaria was granted a number of new territories, and in 1806, the Confederation of the Rhine was created, leading to the end of the Holy Roman Empire. Ooh. The Prince-Elector of Bavaria declared himself king, creating the Kingdom of Bavaria, which existed between 1806 and 1918. After the... This is after the ride of Prussia. Um, no. After the ride. After the rise of Prussia, it kept its independence by playing off the rivalry of Austria and Prussia, becoming part of the North German Federation in 1867, but became part of the German Empire in 1871 after siding with Prussia in the war against France. They continued as a monarchy within the empire and had special rights, like they could ha- they had an army, um, a railway service, postal service. This is portal service. What is wrong with me when I was writing this? Portal service! Yes. <laughs> and um, they maintained a diplomatic body of their own, which was pretty rare. Yeah. Um, even though Bavaria joined Germany, most Bavarians had and still have a separate sense of national identity, being Bavarians first and then Germans second. So similar to how like people are like Kentucky, woo, U.S. Okay, you know. Well, <laughs> some for, people for a reason. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, the Bavarians first, German second. Probably because uh, most of the kingdom was Catholic, while most of the Prussians who ruled them were Protestant. Um, it's still the only state in Germany that calls itself a free state. There's, like, no real difference, but it's more of, like, them making a point. 19- okay, so, question, what? though. Yes. Why are they the only ones who consider themselves a free state? I think it was because they... Um, because the whole, like, Bavaria, f- Bavarians first sort of mentality. Yeah. And how they were a kingdom. Okay. I think it stems from that. So just they're more about Bavaria than... Yeah. Okay. Okay. 1918, after World War One, the German Empire was abolished, leading to a republic on the federal and local levels. The kingdom of Bavaria ended and the free state of Bavaria was created. Bavaria has one of the largest economies in all of Germany, and um, in 2018, they had the lowest unemployment rate in Germany, and one of the lowest in the entire European Union at 2.6%. Oh, wow. And I was going to make a list of things to do, but I never looked it up, so we're not doing that. (laughs) So, just visit Bavaria, Germany. Sure. Um, Bavarian cream. Woo. Woo! 
So, Rachel, what's your story? My story this week is the Hinterkaifeck murders. Hinterkaifeck murder. Hinterkaifeck. Okay. So, my sources are Wikipedia, mentalfloss.com, allthatsinteresting.com, therankercom thelineup.com, unsolvedcasebook.com, historicmysteries.com, didyouknowfacts.com. <laughs> did you yes did you know facts did you know facts facts <laughs> the scarechamber.com defrosting cold cases i'm sorry defrosting cold, defrosting cases. cold cases um that's amazing <laughs> that's, that's awesome. amazing i'm going to look at that <laughs> i also did not notice that when i copy and pasted the link <laughs> darkhistories.com which also happens to be a podcast podcast Podcast. Podcast. And, oh, really? Um, yeah, it's like a storytelling podcast. Like, it, it's very... I don't want to like say Lourish? monotone. Yes, like Laura. Okay, cool. Um, And then also a cute little, I want to say children's YouTube video, but it's really not for children. <laughs> uh, I feel like the episode I watched was probably... Or the YouTube video I watched for the history was probably for children. And that's why it worked so well so for well. me. Um, anyway, the video is titled, Who Was Behind the Kinterkaifeck Murders? Kinter. Hinterkaifeck Murders. By user The Infographics Show. I, I tried to write this out a little bit kind of story-ish, but I'm not sure how well it works, so... We'll see how it goes. We'll see, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Is it, is it gonna do well for when I eventually interrupt? Yes. Okay. Maybe. Okay. The Grubber family house was built somewhere around 1863 and roughly one kilometer away from the town of Kilometer? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's right. Kilometer. <laughs> Kilometer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kilometer. I don't think A that's kilometer. the right word you want to use. No. Um, um, what was the kilometer <laughs> for this murder? Jeez. It's a kilometer. Um, yeah, uh, roughly, <laughs> roughly one kilometer away from the town of Kaifek, which, by the way, hinter means behind in German. So the unofficial farm name of hinter Kaifek means behind the town of Kaifek. Nice. Yes, super original. The family was relatively well-known in the area, and they were thought to be well-off financially. Mm. They were not really well-known for the right reasons, though. Oh. They were very withdrawn from the outside world and tended to stay in their, you know, in their homes, on their homestead. You know, much, much like us today, staying in our homes. One neighbor stated... The Grubbers were very diligent and frugal. They lived very withdrawn lives and, if possible, avoided any interactions with other people. Same. Same, yes. The family consisted of 35-year-old Victoria Gabriel, which I do have to point out, her name is Victoria with a K, which is super cool. (laughs) And her two children, 7-year-old Kazilia and 2-year-old Yosef, along with Victoria's parents, Andreas and Kazilia Sr. 
Yes, she named her daughter after her mother. Why not? Why the heck not? Um, the property was inherited by the elder Cazilia after the death of her first husband in 1885. Then, yes. Then after her marriage to Andreas the following year, he took co-ownership until 1914 when the property was then passed down solely to Victoria. Mm-hmm. Andreas was 62 years old and still kept up with the work that needed to be done on the farm. Like, go grandpa. Which can be a lot, yeah. Yeah, go grandpa. That is tough. Gardening will keep you young, I swear. Okay, he has been described as helpful but sometimes vicious as he would <laughs> often... as No, this is not funny. As he would often beat his wife and children. Oh, Fuck. Yes, children, plural. (laughs) Andreas and Cecilia had a second daughter who died at the age of two for unknown reasons. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. One neighbor was like, uh, they probably died. How'd you choose this one, Rachel? (laughs) Because you made it easy for me. Uh. I had a rough week, that's why. Uh, okay. Victoria had married a man named Carl Gabriel, Carl with a K, sorry, in April of 1914. Andreas was apparently super hostile towards Carl, and that combined with a rocky marriage from the get-go and everything going on in Germany in that year, Carl was drafted into the the German army for the First World War. He gladly went. Oof. Unfortunately, he did die later that year. Oh. However, at this point, Victoria was already eight months pregnant with her daughter, Cazilia. Dang. Yeah. Victoria was well-known and actually the most liked of the Gruber family. She was also apparently the only family member to leave the homestead and go into town to socialize. Hmm. Uh, at one point, several rumors began to spread that Victoria and her father, Andreas, no. were having an incestuous relationship. No. In 1915, Andreas was sentenced to a year in prison for this and Victoria a month. Holy shit. Like, did they, like, it was an actual thing that was happening? Or that it was like, just the rumor put them in jail. As far as I know, just the rumor put them in jail. Okay. But this rumor then extended to little Yosef, who was born just a few years later. The subject, of course, who was his father? Right, of course. Rumors were that the father of Yosef was actually Andreas, despite the claims that Victoria gave that longtime neighbor Lauren Schlittenbauer was the father. Oh. Apparently, the two had shared a relationship together in 1918 very briefly. She oh. was actually, you know, all ready to marry him too, but her father forbade it. Even locking Victoria in a wardrobe when Lawrence came to propose. What the fuck? Gross. Lawrence, of course, initially denied Yosef as his child. 
you know, going in with the rumors, claiming Andreas and Victoria had continued their incestuous relationship. God damn it. Fucking Lorenz. <laughs> I thought you'd be a good dude. Right. Because of this, Andreas was convicted a second time of incest and put in jail yet again. Wow. However, a month Nobody's later... Nobody's trying to keep them apart. Mm, nope. Because it's like, it, hey, don't do this anymore? They're very keep to their self family. And, I mean, really, what is a bunch of neighbors going to do other than lock True. them up? True. However... A month later, Lorenz recanted his accusations and accepted young Yosef as his. Lorenz was then ordered to pay 1,800 marks because of his false accusation. Yeah, but that's what you there, Oh, yeah. But there are literally so many rumors surrounding this family. There's also a rumor that the Grubbers paid Lorenz to recant his statements. Oh. And according to some, Victoria had come to Lawrence during her father's imprisonment, crying and begging for his help, even offering to pay him the child support. Wow. Yes. But again, this is literally all rumors, and rumors can either be based on truth or lies, and in all honesty, this. And, you know, small towns, they do speculate wildly about the people oh, yeah. who live, like, further out. Oh, yeah. It's the weird oh, yeah. people on it's the farm. The, it's the weird people. And I, I can, honestly, I'm, I'm going to speculate now. I um, mean, you are the weird people on the farm. You get it. I get it. But also, if this was happening, Victoria would not necessarily be going around spent. Uh, spreading these rumors about herself so yeah in my opinion in 19 something germany you're really gonna go and tell the, the town that you're sleeping with your father no that's no ugh. true yeah. i mean i don't think i it's ew yes um we're just gonna leave with that ew okay so let's oh uh, hold on What's this light blue like, baby? Dad? What? Oh, shit. What the fuck? What the fuck? Put that there. I, I've been flipping it. All that happens is that light down there comes on. <laughs> Hold on. Some really weird stuff's happening. I'm gonna send you a video. <laughs> okay. All I know is flickering lights. If it'll load, you'll get it in a second. Okay. Oh. That's weird. And, yeah, no matter what I did, on or off, it just kept on flickering. Is your dad taking a video, too? Yeah. Because he wanted um, to show that, like, the light was on. Have you saved yet? But no. It did it this <laughs> morning, too. It was really weird. <laughs> 
You need to sage your house. That is terrifying. Well, I told it to knock it off earlier, and... Did it knock it off? Until now? Until now. Okay. All right. Um, Okay, back on topic. Let's fast forward to the beginning of winter in 1921. Footsteps were heard in the attic by the family and their maid at the time. Ooh. The maid and little Cazilia both had problems sleeping at night due to the very obvious footsteps and voices. This we know because Victoria did let it slip while she was out shopping one day. Like, oh yeah, we hear, we're hearing footsteps in our house. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. Okay, look, the maid literally thought that this was a ghost. And at one point, the maid could no longer handle the noises and lack of sleep, so she finally resigned from her position at the farm. Andreas, That's crazy. She actually quit? She actually quit because, Damn. well, one, she Did they never go in their fucking attic? He okay. does eventually go in his attic. Okay. That was actually the next sentence. Andreas, oh, with the loss of with the loss of his maid and his family's growing fear, took it upon himself to investigate the attic. Fucking, you should have done it before your maid left, my dude. I. Uh, maybe she wasn't a good maid. I don't know. When he found nothing, he then searched the property, suspecting possible burglars. 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 While he actually didn't find anyone on the property, he did discover that the machine house door had been tampered with. Ooh. Ooh. The lock showed apparent signs of being torn and ripped apart with a... They called it a crushing tool. That's all they said. And the wood around the door showed a lot of scratches. Uh Uh-huh. So... While this so was, they probably tried to use a crowbar or something else, and then couldn't do that, so they just crushed it. Right, right, yes. While all of this is super odd, nothing was actually missing, so kind of just let this slip by. You know, come early 1922, January, February, things started to get even weirder. Andreas then found footprints that led from the tree line to the farmhouse, but no tracks that led back. And this was, you know, early 1922, January, February. That part does sound familiar. Snowy. So it was snowing. There were footsteps in the snow, but none coming back to the tree line. I think that's the only part so far that sounds that, like, I genuinely remember. Neighbors and even the postman confirmed that, you know, these tracks were there. Yeah. The postman even recalled that at one point the family inquired as to why he dropped off a copy of the Munich newspaper at the edge of the woods. Ooh. The family never read that paper, let alone subscribe to it. But why did he drop it off? The next... Weird. Yeah, very weird. This, I mean, this whole thing is... Yep. The next odd thing that would honestly be even more concerning to me and hopefully everyone out there the key to the house went missing no yes andreas searched high and low and all across the property but was unable to find it he went to neighbors asking if they had seen it which they hadn't and he then began to suggest that it had been stolen 
Neighbors then try to reassure him that he simply misplaced the key. Sure. And it would eventually turn up. Mm. Luckily for the family, their new maid arrived on March 31st, 1922. Mm. Of course, after the key disappeared, so I mean, no one's got a key to the house. Whatever. It's fine. Could they not change locks back then? I don't think it was as easy as it is now. Oh. I guess that would make sense. Her name was Marie Baumgartner. That night, she made dinner for the family, which they all enjoyed, before the family settled in. Nothing out of the normal here. However, after the maid's arrival, the family wasn't seen again until the discovery of their bodies by concerned neighbors on April 4th, 1922. What? Yeah. The fact that the family didn't show up to church that Sunday wasn't all that surprising. You know, especially they're shut-ins. Well, yeah. Especially since smoke could still be seen rising from the farmhouse chimney. So, there was somebody, like, still in there? There was someone still in the house. No! However, when little Cecilia did not show up for school two days in a row, an alarm was raised. I think, I think I remember this one. Mm Mm-hmm. That, along with comments from the postman that the mail from the weekend had not been picked up, Lauren Schlittenbauer, neighbor and possible baby daddy, mm-hmm. led the search party to the Gruber residence. What they found was gruesome. Andreas, Casilia, Victoria, and little Casilia were found brutally beaten in the barn. Fuck. Their bodies had been stacked together and covered with hay. And in the house, poor baby Yosef was found in his crib with his head smashed in. Holy fuck. And the new maid, Maria, was found dead in her room as well. Oof. Autopsies were performed on the family by court physician Dr. Johann Baptiste Almuller. Kazilia, the older one, showed signs of strangulation with seven blows to the head, leaving her with a cracked skull. Jeez. Andrea's face was caked in blood with his cheekbones showing through the strips of flesh hanging off of his face. Holy shit. I should have put a warning. That's brutal. (laughs) It's brutal. Um, Victoria's skull was smashed. Nine star-shaped wounds were shown on her head and the right side of her face had been hit with a blunt object. Huh. Poor... Poor, 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 poor little Kazilia. Her lower jaw had been completely Ooh. shattered, and Ooh. she had her face and neck covered in large circular holes. Oh, fuck. She, unlike the adults of the family, suffered a prolonged death. It is oh likely my that God. She, it is likely that she remained alive for several hours after the attack. Because she had clumps of her own hair squeezed tightly in her in her hand. Oh, Jesus. It is thought that as she laid there dying, she was ripping her hair out. You know, like, anxiety. That is the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, while the owners of the property suffered a horrible fate, the animals were not harmed. In fact, it seemed that they had been taken care of by the attacker. 
which led investigators to believe that the attacker lived on the property in the days following the murders. Yeah. So initially, investigators believed this act was done in order to rob the family. However, that theory was just tossed out the window when they found the family savings still in the house. And on top of that, how do you live? I we had we found the same thing in um where was it Brighton, where that man lived in the apartment with um, oh yeah for a couple of days. I don't understand how you could do this. Okay, well, it was easier, I guess, for this guy or girl or whoever, because most of the family was in the barn. Sure, but even with a fucking a child's body, it's not that doesn't bother you. He covered the child's body with one of his mother his mother's dresses, and the maid was covered in a sheet. So. Ugh. Uh, okay. Investigators then zeroed in on Lorenz as a possible suspect because of his involvement with the family on a personal level as well as the entire situation with baby Yosef. He does sound sketch. It, he does sound sketch. This theory was even more appealing to investigators because they believed his initial reaction to seeing the bodies was super suspicious. He apparently acted very nonchalant and knew his way around the farm, which nonchalant, I get. Uh, um, uh, how? No, because he was in shock. Okay. If they I misunderstood guess. nonchalant as being in shock with what they found. I guess, yeah, that could make sense, especially back then. It's not like they really understood the effects of shock that well, so. Yes. But also, he was super intimate with Victoria for, you know, quite a while. He would, of course, know his way around the farm. So, to me, both of those are just like, eh. And after extensive questioning, the investigators determined the exact same thing. He was not the killer because, one, they couldn't place him at the crime scene. And again, his nonchalant behavior was shock. Shock, right. Yeah. Another theory was that Victoria's husband came back from the war, discovered the incestuous relationship between her and her father, and he killed the whole family. He died! Yep. That is exactly why the theory did not work. Because he died ten years before this even happened. (laughs) Talk about a fucking conspiracy theory. Her dead husband came back from the war. (laughs) Um, What? The... I mean, that is another one of the theories that I did not mention. Yeah, they thought that he faked his death and he came back to surprise her. Uh, to surprise her? Why would he... What do you mean fake your death? What? Mm. Or he was mislabeled as killed in action and it and wasn't actually him. Back. And then he came uh. back. Yeah. Uh, okay, the final theory was that this was a murder-suicide thing between Victoria and Andreas, but literally none of the injuries on any of them could have been self-inflicted. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's not like they beat the shit out of each other and then covered their own bodies in hay and then kept the fire going yes. for a couple of days. What? 
And I think that's something that they also missed. If this was a murder-suicide, the weapon would still be there. The right. weapon was not there. So, at a loss on what... This is the best part. At a loss on what to do, the heads were removed from the bodies and sent oh. to Munich for further examination. The, even, just the he- Just the heads. Mm. Even given to local psychics in order to see if their spirits could give any hints as to who their killer was. Sadly, the skulls went missing following the chaos that ensued after World War II. Wow. <clears throat> With no other leads, this case went cold until 2007, until the Furstenfeldbruck Police Academy took the murders on. The students ruled out all but one suspect. However, because that person had long been deceased and out of respect for the family, the name was not publicly released. As a last bit of information here, a year after the murders took place, as they were clearing the house to level it and just make, you know, that whole area just a giant field, Mm -hmm. um, they found Andreas's pickaxe in the attic nowhere near the rest of his tools. Police believed that this was the murder weapon, and... They didn't even check the they didn't whole check the whole fucking house? No, they didn't. <laughs> uh, but look, it's the 19-something. So, speaking, that murderer could have still could have been, still in, been the in the house the yes. entire time. Oh yes. my god. Um... Hmm. They have since erected a small monument in memory of the family and their horrific murders. And that is the Hinterkaifeck murders. Well, that was equal parts um, disturbing and interesting. Yes. Jesus Christ. Uh, Appalling. And they never found out who did it. But you killed a two-year-old. I mean, everyone's death is horrible, but you killed a two-year-old? Yeah, I don't get the, the, the amount of... It was so brutal, and then he felt guilty enough afterwards to where he had to cover their bodies. Yeah. And then he and stayed that was, with them. That was one of the things... That's the thing. He felt guilty enough that he had to cover the bodies because he couldn't look at them. But he did not feel guilty enough that he just stayed in their house. I wonder if it was somebody that that knew them, but like... And that's kind of why I'm edging on the theory that her husband wasn't dead. <laughs> but like, that's I hate insane, to say it. it is so... It is so insane because there's... And what there's... would make you think that there's a legitimate incestuous relationship between them just by, like, oh, you know what? What? No. Okay, so hold on. Hold on. So, I would say, what would make you think that there's a genuine incestuous relationship between them? Um, but then I was like, well, he stayed in their attic for a little while, so they he could have... He could have like, heard things. ...witnessed something. But yeah. at the same time, why would he go to their fucking attic? Why would he go up to their front door and be like, hey, honey, I'm home? Okay, uh, mm-hmm. This guy's weird. I don't know. 
guy girl I, there's no logic werewolf in that vampire I mean, there's no logic in in a lot of murder i mean so <laughs> yeah okay what is your story because i actually don't think i know your story I didn't know my story either. <laughs> okay. Um, this is actually the Rosenheim Poltergeist. I don't even know how I found this. I don't remember any... I don't remember how I found it, but it's interesting. It's short, but still That's okay. interesting points. So, my sources are Wikipedia, GhostTheory.com, HauntedHovel.com, PsychicScience.org, hauntedearthghostvideos.blogspot.com What? Sorry, that's just a that's a that's a long. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um and an article from the Pittsburgh Press dated January 2nd, 1974 by Alan Spraggett and a um a scientific paper I genuinely Ooh. found a scientific paper titled Poltergeist Phenomena, a Primer on Parapsychological Research and Perspectives by Brian Williams and Annalisa Ventola. Brian yes. Williams sounds familiar, so... I have no idea. Yeah, I've been doing all these long stories, so uh, I guess it's time for a time shorter for one. Time for a short one, um, yeah. In the fall of 1967, a German parapsychologist, Hans Bender of Freisberg Institute. I think that's how you say it. Freisberg, Freisberg, I don't know. Um, I was literally about to say, oh my god, that's so long ago until I remembered my story is in 1921. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's from the Freisberg Institute of Paranormal Research um, and he was asked to investigate electrical and physical disturbances at the office of uh, of a lawyer named Sigmund Adam. Ooh. Yes. Okay. So, and a lawyer, of all things. A lawyer. Yeah, I know. Of all things, a lawyer. Yeah. I Normally you expect, like, poltergeist activity to be, um... A in, like, family a thing. Yeah. Yeah, not a yeah. lawyer's office. Right. So, the activity supposedly began in July of that year, um, 1967, in case anyone missed it. When several phones in the office received calls that had no one on the other end. Oh. Yeah. At first they thought it was a joke, obviously. You know, just some kids playing a prank. Yeah. But it just kept happening. Uh, So Sigmund Adam thought maybe it was a technical malfunction. Um, But no matter what they did, the calls kept coming. They replaced the telephones, had a technician examine the telephone lines, but everything looked fine. And yet the calls continued. Okay. Then in October, other things started happening. Oh no. Yeah. Light bulbs would randomly start rotating, turning themselves on and off. Sometimes they would explode with enough force to bury splinters of glass in the wall. Which is... That's that's a little very concerning. And please wear a hard hat and layers. Can you hear the police sirens? Okay. Um, hanging light fixtures uh, sometimes would swing back and forth on their own. Even heavy office furniture had uh, started to move itself. Yeah. Uh, when the electricians came to check wiring and fuses, they like they all looked fine until they used voltage meters to see if there had been any power surges. 
and the meters did record power surges, one that would have blown out every uh, electrical appliance in the building. But it didn't. But none of the fuses were malfunctioning or blown. Mm, okay. Yeah. On top of that, the telephone company installed instruments that recorded a shit ton of phone calls that were never made. What? Yeah. There are around 600 calls made to the the speaking clock, which for anyone who doesn't know, um, there's a number that you could call to tell you the current time. So the poltergeist just wanted to know what time it was. You didn't know about that? No. Oh, well, that's a thing. Um... But all of the phones were disabled at the time that this happened, and only Sigmund Adam had the key required to enable them. Okay. At, at one point, so there was a, um, there were 60 calls in an hour, so every minute, you would yeah. think. Except, at one point within a matter of 15 minutes, there were a total of 46 calls made. Sometimes at... That That's rate, a desperate that, ghost. Not only that, but it seems almost impossible because they were rotary phones. Which takes a so, very yeah, so long sh- time to dial each phone yeah, number. But then this the logical side of me is just like, so there's a short in the line somewhere? But they checked them and they were fine. And they were fine? Okay. So... Um, there were also strange noises that were heard, inc- including random sharp bangs, and when they're- What is podio- a sharp bang? I don't know. I guess it's like a- <laughs> like, like a- Like a- Like a tink bang, That's not bang, a bang. Like that's loud. a clanking. That, but louder. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not- Sure. <laughs> I'm not a parapsychologist. <laughs> Leave me alone. Okay. Um, but when their, photo- their photocopier started to leak for no reason- and um, they cut all power to the office and used a standalone generator to get electricity. What What was their photocopier leaking? Toner? Copier fluid. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever that is. Okay, I'm going to hope there was copier fluid in the 1960s because that's not a thing now. <laughs> it is. That's, that's what every source said. I just didn't write it down. Okay. <laughs> just said copier fluid. I don't even know what the fuck that is. That's because we I'm use toner now. I don't know. Probably. Um, but anyway, they cut off all the power in the, in the office and used a, a standalone generator to get electricity. But the everything kept happening, regardless of them using the generator. Ooh, concerning. Yeah. So that's when Hans Bender comes in. Hans Bender. Hans Bender. Yeah. Hans Bender. He hears Just about all of this and it. is like, hell yeah. Let's get in there. So, (laughs) despite the initial reports that these incidents only occurred on weekends, like some sources said, after several interviews and research, um, Hans Bender noticed that the phenomenon started at specific times of the day and ended at specific times of the day, but it wasn't just on weekends. He also noted that some of the phenomena seemed to be directed by a disembodied intelligence specifically a disembodied intelligence yes coincidentally the so-called disturbances started when one of the young employees 19 year old Anne Marie Scarborough Scarborough came into the office kinky ghost no 
Hans was able to document on video how the lights immediately began to flicker as soon as she entered the offices. According to Bender, and some of um, some of this was actually recorded on a video recorder, quote, When this young girl walked through the halls, the lamps behind her began to swing with increasing amplitude. If bulbs exploded, the fragments flew towards her. In addition, the number of phenomena decreased with increasing distance from Anne-Marie. It became obvious that we were dealing with RSPK connected to Anne-Marie. Oh, okay. We've talked about this before, but I don't remember if we've ever put a name to it. I don't think so. Well, in case we haven't, or in case none of us remember, because obviously we don't remember, RSPK is recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. Basically when someone who, um, but not always maybe, has latent psychokinetic abilities, um, and under pressure or stress they have, like, or, like, repressed anger or frustration, those abilities sort of outwardly manifest unconsciously. And that's what we get with poltergeists, is that outward manifestation. Right. Um, Bender asked two physicists, Friedberg Karger and Gerhard Zieke. I'm sorry. I heard (sighs) free the bird, not Friedberg. Free bird. (laughs) I should really clean my ears. Friedberg? (laughs) Bert. Friedberg. 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 I don't know. Sure. Um, anyway, he hired them, he asked them to look into the electrical issues a bit further. Um, they observed and examined or checked every physical cause that they could think of, including, like, faulty shifts on the main voltage to the office, static, Mm. uh, electric, uh, and magnetic fields, vibrations, and ultrasonic and infrasonic effects. They came to the conclusion that nothing they found would explain what was happening in the office. They said, quote, some unknown form of energy is at work. All right. Unknown form of energy. Yes. In December of 1967 and January of 1968, once they realized that it could be RSPK caused by Anne-Marie, the disturbances increased, including the picture, uh, pictures spinning on the walls, drawers opening and closing by themselves, calendar pages flew off the wall, paintings were thrown across the room, and a 400-pound cabinet was seen sliding several feet across the floor with no damage made to the linoleum flooring on two Ooh. separate occasions. That's awesome for the linoleum flooring, though. I know, right? Um, Anne-Marie became so nervous that she began displaying what they said were hysterical contractions in her arms and legs. Meaning? I don't know. Like, Like she she was was shivering? She was flexing? I think think she was, like, so freaked out she was, like shaking i don't know I don't, I, like seizures or because that's horrible if it was seizures i don't know it's just in her arms and legs so don't know anyway mm-hmm. Anne marie okay. ended up leaving the company in january of 1968 and the disturbances in the office stopped oh um bender actually suggested that the hundreds of phone calls were due to Anne marie feeling like the work day would never end which same. 
So because like, she every just time she'd be like, checking oh my God, this day isn't ending, this day is never ending, and then it would just be like call after call after call. Yeah. So she um, just kept checking the time, see if the day was over yet. So he also said that she was engaged to a man who used to take her to bowling alleys with an elect an electrical apparatus, which usually refused to work. So you know how um they it was a bowling alley that started getting like the electrical ball return and stuff. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. So um it always refused to work uh whenever he took her. And apparently he dumped her because he couldn't marry a girl that did funny things to electrical gadgets. Yeah. Dude, just just yeah. So, but this is some guy saying this is like that yeah, paranormal, uh, the parapsychologist saying this. Um, the last known thing anyone's been able to find on uh, Anne Marie was that she got married in 1969 and the activity stopped completely. Aww. Which obviously people said was because she was getting the attention she needed or that she unconsciously knew he wasn't the man for her and used her psychokinesis to discourage him. Which is possible. I just... If you look at other legitimate poltergeist cases, which are, which is the um, outward influence of the... Whatever it was you just said, because my brain isn't working. It tends to be a lot of what you really want to convey to yourself. Sure. I just... Mm-mm. So, this case is said to be one of the most documented cases of a poltergeist, which is crazy because I use so many sources to get all of this, and I feel like there is not enough at all. Yeah. Um, the thing about this case, though, is that a lot of people think it was a hoax. Oh, why is that? Um, there was a book titled False Spirits, Real Swindlers by author uh, co-authors Albin Newman, Herbert Schiff, and Gert Gunther Kramer, in which they suggest that the claims made by Sigmund Adam were fake and that they actually visited the office and discovered nylon threads attached to the office fixtures, such as overhead lights and wall plates that, when pulled, caused fixtures to move. But then who was doing the moving of the threads? I know, right? Yeah. Adam Because you'd have to have a lot of people. You Or something. You'd have to have a serious, like, thing, like a whole, a whole thing rigged up. It, yeah. Adam uh, tried to get them to stop the publication of the book, but he was not successful. Uh, Dutch journalist and skeptic, uh, I don't know how to say this name, Piet, Piet Hein Hoevens. Like Peter. Sure. Uh, Had the same issues I do with this, um, saying that no full report of the investigation has ever been published, so we're in no position to check... um, to what extent the parapsychologists have been successful in excluding naturalistic explanations. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of this, he also called out Bender for omitting the fact that Anne Marie was caught in fraud by a policeman previously, although I'm not sure for what exactly. In... Yeah, that was going to be my question. She was caught in fraud for what? I couldn't find what. Like, everything said that she had been caught for pro- fraud previously. But it I never thought you were going to say prostitution. Pro- I was no. like, um. Um, no. Um, it said that she was a difficult child. So maybe something when she was a teenager. Yeah. I don't know. 
So she was also said to be histronic, which I take an issue with because Wait, this is something. Hold on. I was going to say, what yes. does that mean? Histronic, hysterical, basically. Oh, like she's okay. um, over exaggerating, like, cra- yeah. Um, it's, it's something that women have been called time and time again just for being people and responding to things. Yeah. Um, and she very mel- very may well have been, like, troubled or difficult to get along with or to be around, but I just dislike women being called over-emotional, hormonal, or histronic, whatever. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I had the issue with them saying that all she needed was attention or a husband for all of it to stop. But see, there are studies where... After a certain age, poltergeist activity does not affect you anymore. And that is fine. But they linked it to her getting married, specifically. And they dumb. So, there's a theory that multiple people in the office were in on it and that she was just the ringleader. Yeah. But the most popular is psychokinesis. So, even if it was a trick and those authors did discover, like, strings or whatever... Some investigators argue that when you discover things that seem, like, to prove, like, trickery or something, it would be wrong to dismiss the case as a hoax since it's possible that genuinely paranormal shit might be going on alongside anything that could be faked. Mm -hmm. And that it's important to recognize that sometimes faked disturbances might be unconscious on the part of the person involved because they might be, like, carried out in a dissociated psychological state rather than deliberate. Yeah, and also, um, if by all miracle a person is telekinetic. Yeah, and that's the other possible thing, right. So, yeah. But yeah, that is my very short story of the, um, Rosenheim poltergeist. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and now Patreon at Myths and Misfortunes. And Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to MythsandMisfortunes at gmail.com. Fun coincidence, though, our website is MythsandMisfortunes.com. Check us out. Yes. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the descriptions below. Also, please check them out, too. They are amazing. Yes, they are fantastic. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, especially iTunes and YouTube. Absolutely, YouTube. Um, We've gotten a single... No, we've gotten a couple of comments. Um, We've got one that really threw us off, though. Um... By the Tulpa eternal... pregnancies. Yeah. Is what it was. <laughs> yeah, Tulpa... episode f- mm. episode 14, Imaginary Ghost and Tulpa Pregnancies. User Forrest Whitaker Tulpa commented, <laughs> I am a product of Tulpa pregnancy. Um, to which we, of course, responded, this is the best thing we've ever heard. We need to hear your life story. Because I do. I need to hear it. Hoping to hear back from you, Forrest Whitaker Tulpa. Just give us a shout. Let us know. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> Amazing. I'm going to look that up right after we get off here. But yeah, we appreciate you all. So much. And Keep thanks doing so much what you listening. do. Fight good fight. Fight the good fight. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, okay. All right. Thanks so all much, right. guys. Yes. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.